Without Borders teams confront hard facts in conflict and crisis zones. When others might look away, we step in to act. Because measles still kills more than 100,000 children every year. We're there to vaccinate over a million worldwide, including those affected by the current outbreak in Democratic Republic of Congo. Because half of all maternal deaths occur during delivery or within 24 hours. We've assisted more than 1.4 million births around the world, including care for new mothers in Afghanistan. Because some countries only have one or two mental health professionals, we offer counseling and clinical care, providing over 400,000 mental health consultations worldwide last year, including care for migrants and refugees on the dangerous journey north from Central America. The fact is, your acts of care and compassion make our life-saving work possible. Picture the impact we can have together. DoctorsWithoutBorders.org If you came across a child struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? Would you recognize a 13-year-old boy who gets into fights at school? Not because he's a boy, but because he's hungry. Or a two-year-old girl who cries all night? Not because she's sick, but because she went to bed without enough to eat. Or maybe a nine-year-old boy who hopes a friend invites him to a sleepover. Not for fun, just so he can have dinner. Or a 15-year-old girl who goes for walks over lunch so her friends won't know she doesn't have anything to eat. I am the one in seven American children who struggle with hunger. Kids you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am child hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong. This is Scott Richmond and Arnie Sherman. You're listening to What Do You Know on News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. Arnie Sherman, good Sunday morning. Good Sunday morning to you, Scott. For our listeners, I think they know this. We're recording this before Sunday, so we don't know what happened yesterday. But we do know that what happened yesterday is the first time in Grizzly football history that we had an April football game. COVID-related, Big Sky Conference-related, lots of issues came into play about why you know, we didn't do a season at the normal time and why we're playing two games. Uh, we played one yesterday, which everybody will know the outcome by the time this adds, airs with um, Central Washington. We're going to play in a few weeks against Portland State. And today to talk about that and a lot of other issues that are affecting not only uh, University of Montana athletics, but athletics in general, we're going to have uh, – our good friend uh, Kent Haslam on, the athletic director from the University of Montana. There's yeah. so much going on. You know, you have this transfer portal. In basketball alone, there are a thousand students nationwide who have put themselves into the transfer portal. Didn't exist before. Now coaches have a chance to, you know, pick and choose among them. There's a reason to pick them, and to some extent, rather than people out of high school, it's affecting the normal flow of how uh, high school sports works. We have an imminent change in NCAA where they're going to be able to pay students now for their for their image, their likeness, their you know their uh, their appearing at events and things, and that's a whole a whole new thing that no one you know knows how it's going to play out. We're hiring a new ladies 
basketball coach, a Lady Grizz coach, at a time when, you know, the the Robin Selvig uh, documentary, which we had uh, the writer, director, and producer on uh, last week, uh, Megan Harrington, the house that Rob built, bringing even more attention to the, the storied Lady Grizz program. We have all of that to discuss and more. Mm. Um, and it's uh, a bigger story, and there's, there's more at stake, really, than just what's happening at the University of Montana, although that's important. You know, these things are affecting every every college program in the country. Completely. A sea, sea change. Just the last 14 months have been anything but static as it relates to the world of college sports and athletics and how they've had to duck and dodge to actually get things done and to get, you know, well, people, to try to know. make things look normal when they're yeah. not normal. Watching an NCAA tournament with hardly anybody there, you know, watching a Knicks game or a Lakers game or whoever right. your team is with no one there, watching baseballs in full bloom with five or 8,000 people in the stands. I know that some <laughs> programs like Miami are used to that, but not in New York or LA or Houston or in the big, uh, the big market school, uh, you know, Boston, Chicago. They're used to full stadiums for every right. game. And people on top of each other. Now you don't want anyone on top of you. And we don't even understand yet what the revenue impact is for those programs. We know for college programs, it's enormous. Right. Whatever the impact is on Montana. Imagine what the impact is on an Alabama or a Notre Dame or, you know, one of the top schools in the Duke for basketball. I mean, it's, it's millions and millions of dollars that, that comes into the, uh, the operations of universities that they haven't had this past year and a half. Exactly. No. And you know, we, uh, Kent's a great guy. He's a straight shooter. He's very honest. He's very forthright. And he is, you know, he, just uh, he just says it like it is, which I like. You know, I think that's what you want from your athletic director. Yes. So, and we, I, have, and we have a storied um, history of of uh, having college coaches here that have gone on to to great glory in other places. The most recent one being Wayne Tinkle, who was our co- player here, coach here, went on to Oregon State and made the Elite Eight when they were supposed to finish last in the Pac-12. Make sure, you ask him about, make sure you ask him about that. Well, we'll ask him about that. I mean, there have been other coaches as well that have done, done great that have been here. But um, there's a lot to talk about, and this is a, a spring like no other. I agree. When we come back, we will have our guest, University of Montana Director of Athletics, of athletics Kent Haslam, back after this. Hi, I'm Bob Burton. All right, Arnie, we are back with our guest, the Director of Athletics for the University of Montana, Kent Haslam. Kent, it's good to have you back on the show. Well, thank you very much. So we're in April. Normally in April, you know, we're busy enough at the university with tennis and uh, softball and soccer and golf and track and field. And now, I believe, for the first time in history, we're playing football in April. What's what's the background on all this? Oh, you know, we knew this was going to be coming when everything in the fall got canceled. And Arnie, we're playing both forms of football. We got soccer going on too. Right. So we, got, we got the traditional football, but we have the one that the, that most of Montana pays attention to, which is Grizzly, you know, football on the on the gridiron. Yes, and and certainly this um, shift from our 
cancellation of our fall sports and moving them to the spring. We are now living through that. Um, but it is good to have our student athletes back competing. It's good to have them back out doing what they enjoy. We feel like we've got a handle on uh, managing this pandemic. We've got light at the end of the tunnel. And when we decided as a entire conference to, to not play in the fall, we knew we wanted to have some kind of uh, football in the spring. And so here we sit uh, with a couple of home games uh, at Washington Grizzly Stadium in front of what we hope to have a few fans. Do these games count in our overall record? Are these official games? They are official games, Arnie. I guess unless we lose, then we're not going to count yeah, them, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> no. As always, we'll just bury we'll those. Just, we'll bury those. But, no, these are these are games. Now, we have we have uh, opted out of any consideration for the football playoffs, which will, will happen uh, this April. I'm on that selection committee, so we're hard at work at picking – the 16 teams that will play. We've, we are not going to participate in that. We're going to only play two games, but these, and, and why did we make that decision? Well, it was a variety of reasons. Uh, first and foremost, I think it was the health and safety of our student athletes. It really was. Sure. When you look back at trying to get a football team prepared to play six division one football games with you starting your camp that we are typically doing in August in the middle of January with no indoor facility and preparing to go compete. It just didn't make any sense to us. The other thing was the quick turnaround. We are going to be at the university of Washington on September 4th of 2021. And so you look at playing six games plus the playoffs, then turning around three or four months later and playing right there again. And we just felt like it was best for us. And this was in consultation with our, Commissioner of Higher Ed, and, and we went in partnership with Montana State. Believe it or not, we partner with them quite a bit, and we both felt like it was the best move. So um, we'll just play these two games, but they'll count, Arnie. I mean, the stats will count. The wins, the losses will count. Let's hope there's none of those. And uh, they'll, they'll be a part of uh, Grizzly football history, one that I hope doesn't repeat itself. Let's hope <laughs> yeah, we're not playing in April sure. anymore. So we're playing Central Washington, and I forget who the second uh, game is. Portland State, yeah. So right, Portland so, State, yeah. So will that count as a that'll count as a conference win, won't it? If it happened or not? No, that will just no. simply count as a, it's a non-conference competition against right. a conference opponent. So it will. So only you have count. a lot. You have a lot to, on your plate in terms of football alone, but we have all kinds of other things going on. You're currently recruiting a new Lady Grizz coach, head coach. We are. We're in the middle of that. I've got a, a great search committee that's helping. Uh, we are moving close. We are getting towards the finish line. Now, every time you say that and try and set a timeline, that timeline blows up. But we've had great interest from uh, around the country, really, really good candidates. That doesn't surprise me. This is a real premier job, I believe, in women's basketball. So I hope hope to get that wrapped up here, um, here pretty soon and, and announce a new coach. Well, we've had – you know, one of the greatest coaches of all times for 38 years, Robin Selvig. I'm sure you've seen the house that Rob built and how, what kind of accolades that's getting and what kind of attention it's putting on the program. Has that put a little bit more of a, a microscope on, on this selection process? You know, having everybody recognized and, and people who haven't in the past recognized how premier the program is here? 
Yeah, it, that the timing of that documentary has actually been perfect, and um, candidates that we visited to visited with have referenced that documentary. Yeah. It, it's no secret what Robin Selvig did here at the University of Montana, and uh, it's well known. He has 865 wins, um, but one of the real amazing things about Robin is he is not a hoverer. He is not someone who needs to be in the middle of everything. He wants the program to be successful. Um, so he, he elevated this, uh, this job. There's no doubt about it. And that documentary I thought was outstanding and, and summed up what he has meant to this university, uh, in, in a really, really detailed way. And he left the program in, you know, one of the more, you know, unusual and, and best ways of leaving. He didn't get fired. He didn't die. He didn't quit. He just retired after 38 years with the same program. And that's an amazing legacy for anybody to pick up the mantle and follow after. He is. And and then we've stressed to the candidates we've been interviewing, we're not trying to find the next Robin Selvig. We, we understand that. Um, but uh, there are certainly some great lessons to be learned from him. And, and I, uh, I, I count him as a, as a friend and a, and a great mentor. That's for sure. You know, you have a lot of responsibilities as an AD, and uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, sort of stands out to me is you bring you have to build a team to run all of these different sports, and you know they're not going to last forever. There's never going to be another 38-year year coach of any of the sports, or it's unlikely that would ever happen. So does that figure in, in your planning, you know, when you go out and hire, you know, Bobby Halk or a new lady coach or, or Travis to cure that you know you're not going to have them forever. Is is there some thought process ar- around uh, how that will work for the university in the long run? Yeah, I mean, um, I certainly want people who are coming here and who are connected and who want to be here. We all we all want that. Um, I I personally don't get offended if it becomes a stepping stone job. If they step here. Uh, to go on to bigger and better things and leave behind a few championships and a great program, they've done their job. Uh, I look at, uh, at Wayne Tinkle is probably a great example. That Wayne is a is a Montana Grizzly through and through. He worked hard here. He elevated this program. He stepped to Oregon State, took a great pay raise, just did amazing <laughs> amazing things in the in the in the men's basketball tournament. And I'm as happy for him as I am for anybody. And so you certainly, I I look for people who want to be here, who fit the culture. And if they stay and are successful for 20 years, great, because searching is not fun for head coaches. It's like any job. uh, You hate searching for people. It's just hard and tedious. But if they uh, come through here and leave this place uh, great when, when they leave it, I'm happy for them. You know, it was amazing. You mentioned the Tinks. How many Montana people were cheering him on? I would go on social media, and more there were more people from Montana cheering him than from Oregon. It was it was incredible. It, it, that's a I think a real um, testament to this place, this state, and the pride that we take in watching um, our own do really really well. And it was such a great story anyway just because yeah. of the way they played and they, they were picked 12th and they, they just bl- blazed through the Pac-12 tournament. And then they just kept winning in the NCAA tournament that it, it was an easy, even from if you have no connection to Oregon State, 
or Montana, it was an easy story to really get excited about. It sure. was, it was Rudy. I mean, who doesn't cheer for Rudy? Right. So, right. um, have well, a they flash in the stands. The whole family had played basketball. It was yeah, great. and that's a pretty magical family too. Yeah. And you, <laughs> you, you look up at the accomplishments of there. So very proud of very proud of him, and and very proud of of uh, of what those people who've left their mark here move on to do. So we didn't have football in the fall. There's a lot of disruption on campus. What kind of fiscal impact does it have on your department? You know, football is the biggest revenue generator. You know, basketball, we played a season of basketball, men and women with no crowd. What kind yeah. of impact does that have? It, it's it's a huge impact, Arnie, and I'm not under understating that. It took us uh, it took us a pandemic to recognize really how valuable, in particular, Grizz football, but men's and women's basketball as well. We've always known that we rely heavily on on people uh, sitting in that in the stands, buying a ticket, driving over here, parking, tailgating, and doing all those things, we we've known that for years. Um, but this was this was a real slap in the face. There's no doubt about it. Football generates uh, north of eight million dollars in gross revenue for us. Wow. And um, now we didn't have the expenses of operating a football season. We didn't travel and didn't do all those things, but we lost a big chunk of revenue and we've tightened our belt. We've taken uh, furloughs and voluntary leave without pay. And I've renegotiated contracts and do all, done all those kind of things, but it'll be hard to get out to make up with that without some kind of a bridge to getting us to fiscal year 22. Now mm-hmm. next year looks great. Um, we got that Grizz cat football game back here in Missoula, which is important. That's a valuable game. We play at Washington. Uh, that's a good payday for us. So 22 looks good. Our season tickets look solid. A lot of people have deferred and have, have put down deposit for new ones. So we look good in 22. We just got to figure out through some kind of a bridge that, how we can get out of fiscal year 21 and, and turn the page. Sure. Scott? Well, I think we would be remiss if we didn't ask you, Kent, how the last 14 months have been for you both professionally to start and then personally. Because like everybody, nobody could anticipate anything that had happened over these last few months, last few, last year. Yeah. From a personal standpoint, I'm like everybody else. You, you, you feel isolated. You feel, um, alone. You, you wonder what's going on. I'm, I'm just so tired of divisiveness and finger pointing and, you know, typically in our country, uh, a crisis has unified us, and this has just been such a a divisive topic. And 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 I'm not pointing blame at anybody. That's blame can go to everybody. When, but I, I miss the unity, and I miss the unification that comes from um, being together. And I think part of that is spending time with people and being together with people. I I I miss seeing people face to face. I I love uh, uh, Zoom's great, but my goodness, I'm tired of it too. So personally, you know, our, our, our family has done well and, uh, we've had a granddaughter during COVID. Our first, we've had a wedding for our son during COVID. We've, we've stayed healthy. My wow. family stayed healthy. So, you know, life's kept moving, but, um, from the professional side, 
um, there's just no way to prepare for something like this. There's been some real positives, I think, that have come out from this professionally. I think we'll learn in college athletics how to be more efficient, how to do some things better, how to uh, value certain things far more than we did in the past. I think we'll, uh, it'll help us not take things for granted. It'll help us not take our fans for granted. Um, it certainly allowed us as professionals in this business to come together much more because the great thing about this is this isn't isolated to one university or one segment of our, of our business in college athletics. We're all in the same exact storm. So, right. you know, Oregon, Arizona State, Stanford, Montana, Portland State, we're all in this exact same storm. Sure. So it's allowed us to really, I think, uh, build some networks and some, some support systems. I think that will serve us well in the future. I was going to just, that was my next question was, is there a peer group that is, has your peer group expanded in this, in the last year and, and kind of who, who have the connections that you've made that maybe you didn't have prior to March 2020? I'll tell you, I'm, I'm far, far more closer with the, with the athletic directors in the Big Sky Conference. We have, we really for the last 12 months pretty much have met twice a week on Zoom and, and worked through a lot of, uh, a lot of issues that face the conference. I, I'm lucky enough to serve on that national football championship committee and was lucky enough to to, I don't know if it's luck or if it was bad timing to be the president of the FCS Athletic Directors <laughs> Association during the year of COVID. There's been one time that our national convention has been canceled and it was under my presidency. So I'm embarrassed. <laughs> They're never going to bring me back. Well, it's your but fault. So. It's my fault. But I, I mean, that, that convention is a huge networking tool and I'm sure. the guy that, that blew it up. But, but it, it has expanded those, Scott, because again, you go back to you've had to create these connections as you've as you've tried to learn from others and as you're all kind of staring at this exact same storm. So there's been some great connections within the conference and then some really nice doors that have opened for me just to, to interact with people nationally. So there's been two changes in NCAA sports that are monumental as far as I'm concerned, the transfer portal and then the conversation about paying students after all this time. You've been the AD now for almost nine years. Can you explain to the listeners, you know, what the transfer portal really is and what it means? And then what is the conversation? What's going to happen? What's going to happen at Montana when paying students is, is a new, uh, um, you know, approved NCA, uh, policy? Yeah, so let's talk transfer portal first. Um, I joke it's kind of the college athletics version of Match.com. Like it's yeah. it's, it, it's just you uh, you get to put your your name in there and see who you match up with. But in all seriousness, I think in time in college athletics, the pendulum kind of swings back and forth. Certainly, prior to the transfer portal, the transfer process for a student athlete was very very heavy pro institution. Like it was really hard to transfer. I thought that that pendulum was too far. Right. Now Everybody pendulum, had to sit out at least a year. Oh, yeah. You're sitting out a year. You got to get permission from your school to talk to anybody. You got to go in and talk to your coach. You got to give them a list of a certain schools you want to transfer to. The university have the option to scratch any of those off for no reason at all. So now we swung back to the transfer portal, which I think is a, a good thing in its concept because it allows the student athletes to control that a bit more. They can go into the portal. They notify people, hey, I'm available. 
it, it does away with all this tampering that used to happen with coaches in the back door kind of trying to talk to players they thought were going to transfer. So there's a lot more transparency in it. One thing I fear about the transfer portal, and it, it's here to stay, it's not going anywhere, is it just kind of when you face adversity, if it's that easy to bail, um, that's right. what I think is the, the most difficult. It diminishes some of the student part of student athlete, right? You know, you're at a university, you might be doing great in class, but you're not getting playing time. So you say, I'm going to go throw my name in and see if somebody else will give me more playing time. Yeah. And you, and you wonder who's kind of in the ear of the student athlete all the time, because you see too many that um, quit so quickly when um, there's got to be kind of a happy medium in there. And I'm certain, Arnie, that the rule will pass because there used to be that you have to sit out a year and that year is technically that rule is technically still in there for football men's and women's basketball but i think that will go away and there will be that one-time transfer and i think it will change the way our coaches recruit you will probably recruit more in the transfers because you know they can only go once and then once you've got them after their one free year you've you've got them and so I, I, it's here to stay. The transfer portal's here to stay. And does and it affect every sport? Is yes. it for every sport? Every sport. Every sport. You know, and I, it, it's just, it's, it's the way it, it's the way it's done. So there's some good things about it. Um, but I, I do miss the, I, you know, I, I miss the days of, you know, say what you will about Duke basketball, but I, I you know, I miss the days of four years of Christian Leitner and Bobby Hurley and Grant Hill and, I miss the four years of Patrick Ewing and, and Chris Mullen. You know, this is dating me, but <laughs> when you, you know, you'd get those four year players. Right. That would stay in one place and man, right. they built it. They built even it. Even putting the, even putting the portal aside, um, the amount of undergraduate students that turn pro if they have the ability is, is taken for granted. Now, I noticed during the NCAA tournament when, you know, every time Gonzaga played, there was a discussion about Jalen Suggs was going to be one of the top five picks, and he's a freshman. Yeah, you know he hasn't just he hasn't said to anybody he's leaving after this year. I don't believe. Yeah, but yeah. all the announcers and everybody else are saying he's a top five lottery pick, and he's going to be gone. And he's you know that that didn't exist before. That's one of the things that that bothers me about sports you could lose you could have a championship team with underclassmen and they could all be gone and that's kind of what happened to duke and kansas to to kentucky to north carolina and that's why they didn't go very far yeah and i want to be clear i am very much pro student athlete ability to control their own destiny i think that it was it was far too restrictive before. I, I, I believe that there needs to be, there are reasons you want to transfer. Coach change, it just doesn't fit. You're homesick, whatever the case may be. You, sure. you don't like the map. You just, you know, you get here and it's way too cold in Missoula. I, I don't know. But it, I, I am pro student athlete um, being able to have those choices. I just, uh, I just fear this loss of continuity. And I know um, I mean, if the transfer portal were around when Larry Kriskoviak was playing and, he, you know, he may not have finished his two years at Montana. He might have been sucked up by a Pac-10 school at that time. And they realized, man, we really missed on this guy from Shelby. Let's go get him. Right. Right. And so uh, that that's what I fear is that you turn into just kind of a feeder system. Uh, and Bobby Houck's very candid about that, that we don't want to be the minor leagues for 
for the bigger schools. We, well, we look, find look what's happened with Eastern Washington. Two or three of their players, quarterbacks, all of a sudden are ending up to Oregon. They look like they're a, a feeder school for uh, University of Oregon. Yeah, yeah. And so it's there's just got to be a good balance. But, hey, the transfer portal's here. It's not going anywhere. And I think uh, to your second question, uh, I, I, I – Really hope we don't get to a spot where we're just simply paying student athletes just right from the university. I think that that's wrong. There's there's an employee relationship and there's a student relationship. Um, but I think, and I am not opposed to this, some kind of uh, utilization of your name, image, and likeness for the ability to benefit from that. I think again, there needs to be some ability for student athletes to benefit off of the success that they have. We allow all other students. Uh, if we had a, if we had a talented student that played the piano and, and, and he or she had a chance to play at Carnegie Hall for $5,000, we wouldn't tell that student, there's no way you can do that. But essentially that's what we're telling student athletes now. Uh, so I, I think the name, image and like, name, image and likeness and some of those things that will come through, uh, are not going to be a horrible thing. We'll survive those things, but the pay for play, I don't know how we do that without taking resources from other student athletes to pay the ones that are sure. generating the revenue. The name, image, and likeness, does that mean if you put out a poster and it has five basketball players on that, they're going to be compensated for having their pictures on the poster? No. So that would mean if, uh, for example, uh, some local business wants to have a student athlete down to sign autographs for five for, for two or three hours and pay him or her 500 bucks, they can do that. Uh, mm-hmm. If they, if uh, a student athlete right now can't even run a camp in their own name and, and charge for it. But, you know, if you have a student athlete that uh, we have a, a great women's basketball player who wants to run a skills camp at the local high school and charge, you know, $50 a day, they can't do that right now. They can't use their name right. because it's tied to them being an athlete at a university. So I, I think allowing those kind of things, you might see right. a, a student athlete promoting a, uh, a business and uh, getting paid to do that. And um, they're still going to have to negotiate the rights to our logos. We own those, but right. Um, right exactly. They can't yeah. circumvent that. No, they well, can't there, circumvent there, that. Are there going to be limits on that? Cause I can see in, you know, in Missoula and Bozeman, you know, in, in our area, the, the amount of compensation is, you know, not that great. If you're at Alabama, you know, and yeah. playing at Notre Dame, playing at, uh, you know, one of the top 10 schools, I could see boosters hiring these kids to keep them around and paying them big money. That's where my biggest, that's, you nailed it, Arnie. You nailed the concern is I, I, it cannot enter into the recruiting process and that's, it's got to stay out of there. So if we get to the hard to do, that's going to be very hard to do. It'll be very, very hard to do because, uh, you know, Scott's, well, let's just use Scott's car wash. I'm going to make up Scott. You own a car wash and, and, and you know, we're recruiting a young woman that's a great soccer player and you get to her and you say, Hey, I'm a, I'm a big Grizz fan. If you come here, you know what? I'll give you a booster. I'll give you an endorsement deal for 10 grand. And so she's like, Hey, that sounds pretty good. It can't enter into that world. No, it's gotta, it's gotta happen. Once they get here with some kind of guardrails. And I would say, hey, here in Missoula and in Bozeman, I'd give that credit too. Our student athletes are far more of a celebrity than they are in some of our big sky cities. That's so true. It, it could be true. a bit of a benefit for us. You come to Missoula, you, you might get some opportunities. Uh, 
you you go to a, a a school that's in a big city surrounded by a bunch of other big schools, you're probably right. not going to get. Or that. even if you're like Portland State and you got the, you know you got right. the Trailblazers and you got Damian Lillard and other big superstars, <laughs> it's going to be yes. hard to break into that. Yeah. But I, but I'm fearful of you know what I remember in terms of boosters, you know, hiring students to turn out the lights at their office and giving them you know a grand every time they did it. <laughs> Yeah, that happens. Jobs. <laughs> yeah, I never had one of those. But, well, let's, but let's, you know, I mean, you know all the stories. You know, the students yeah. after the games walking down the, you know, the the lines and getting hundred dollar bills from booster, you know, from boosters. boosters. Let's yeah. do, Arnie. Let's do a quick idea. Our guest is Kent Haslam. He's the director of athletics, for, athletics, excuse me, for the University of Montana. Kent, on that same bent regarding attracting student athletes to Missoula, has the pandemic actually? Like it has just for the general community, you know, individual has, has it become more attractive to be in a Montana or a Missoula versus a big city where they may have grown up? Uh, yeah, that's a really, that's a great question. And part of our, part of our problem, Scott, is we have not had one student athlete, potential student athlete on our campus since March of 2020. Wow. When the pandemic hit, the NCAA put us all schools into what's called a dead period, no recruiting. So we even had a coach leave this campus to go recruiting, and we have not had a student athlete come on this campus for recruiting visit in now 13 months. Now that's going to change starting June 1st. We've got to get that recruiting process back up. So all the recruiting we've done has been via Zoom, phone calls, FaceTime. We have young people that are committing to come here and have never stepped foot on this campus. Uh, and so, but to, to answer the question, I, I believe that places like Montana have become very attractive. Right. That, that, that the pandemic has certainly accentuated who we are, but we've already been pretty attractive to people anyway, because let's call it what it is. It's Montana and it's a cool place and people know it. Well, the hidden advantage for us is now the students will be coming in June <laughs> and everything will be green and oh, everybody will be out. Yeah. It'll, it'll look completely different than if you were recruiting them in February. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we bring them in on beautiful days and tell them it's like this 365. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, uh, exactly. Because we have a good story to tell. We have a beautiful campus. We have a great town. There's a lot going on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a lot better than going to Spokane. I'll let you say that. Yeah. I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I'm joking. But, Scott, I think the answer to that will come here now in the next couple of years as we start to right. see what what repercussions come. Because, again, from a – college athletics standpoint, every university has been in the same exact restrictions we've been in. Universities have been continuing to recruit just the general student, but um, I think it will be a good tell as we see what happens as we try to shift our minds back to going back to what is normal. And I hope we can get over the hurdles we have right now and uh, pack into a stadium and come into places and, and enjoy being around each other. But I, I'm interested to see kind of what this does to the demographics of our student population and our student athlete population in the next several years. Well, you take a look at the salaries that are being paid to coaches around the country. How do we compete? I mean, our salaries in some cases, you know, are, are, are a tenth 
of what they pay in, in some of the big schools. How, what's your pitch or how, or how do you, you know, deal with that when you're trying to go out there and you see somebody you really think would be great for the school, great for the kids, great for the program, but you know, we're so out of the, out of the realm of what other programs are paying. Yeah. Uh, beautiful scenery and clean, <laughs> clean rivers only go so far mm-hmm. until, until your mortgage bill shows up and then you realize you can't pay it in, in uh, visits to Glacier National Park. However, um, we do have some great things to offer. The gap between pay is getting much larger. The days, be honest with you, the days of us attracting the offensive coordinator from a Pac-12 school to come and be our head football coach are done. They, Those they, guys they, are making 800000 to a $1 million. Right. Yeah, and, and we pay, look, we pay a football coach here a, a good salary. We play, pay our basketball coaches good salaries. We do our best to pay our coaches what we can pay them. But, um, so what you do is you have to focus more and more on potential when you hire coaches or you get somebody like a, like a Bobby Houck who genuinely wants to be here and, or a Travis DeCure who has a real commitment to this university or Melanie Michael, our softball coach, who's from Missoula and loves Missoula, or uh, Chris Chidovitsky, our outstanding soccer coach, who you just hired and you saw potential, and then you hold on for him as yeah. long as you can. But the, the the coaches' salaries, it's hard not to look at those and say you should you should be. Um, you should be paying your student athletes if you can pay <laughs> yeah. your coach that. And I understand that argument. I do. Well, I thought one of the amazing things about the uh, whole NCAA tournament was the fact that uh, Wayne Tinkle got a $450,000 bonus for taking the team to the elite, the elite eight. And he gave it back to the university. Yeah. He, yeah, he didn't that take was... it. And that's a bigger salary than we pay our head coach. And he gave it back because he said we were in times of COVID and the program needs it. And I thought that was a, a magnanimous gesture on his part. Yeah. Not to it, take the money. It was. And then he got rewarded with a nice five year new contract. So <laughs> yeah, that's, well. that's pretty darn good. I've yeah. been si- sitting on that back porch in, uh, in the Willamette Valley, but no. Yeah. And, and yeah. We're, you, we're not you, worrying about it, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of coaches out there that would have taken the 450 and deserved it from taking yeah. it from a prediction of being last in the conference to the elite eight. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree. But, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, you, you have a, a, a tough sell in terms of the fans wanting championships. You know, we're not satisfied in Missoula with a winning record. I agree. When I first came to Missoula, I think the first year that I came here back in the late 90s, we were like seven and four, and they wanted to throw the coach out. They wanted to fire him because seven and four. I came from a college that never had a seven and four record in the, in the four years that I was there. And so I was stunned to see someone where, where most programs would be happy with, you know, a seven and four at, at a particular point in time. Uh, and uh, we're not satisfied with that. So you really do have, you know, a predicament on, you know, on your hands, even the hiring the ladies coach. I mean, during Robin's tenure, he averaged 23, win- 23, over 23 wins a season for 38 years. Yeah. You know, no, people it, got used to that. 
it is. And, and you don't ever want to apologize for having high expectations. And that, that going back to your coach's uh, question, that attracts people here. I mean, uh, I, I think it's, it's a lot more fun to play at a place where you're relevant and people care. Uh, the opposite of, of love isn't hate. It's apathy. And sure. apathy is, is, it just drags you down. So, but there are high expectations. We have high expectations. That's what makes it fun, makes it a little crazy at times. I get that. Uh, there's times I talk all the time. Let's have passion with just a little bit of perspective, but that's easier said than done. Um, but mm. for the most part, uh, people who come here know that. And I tell our student athletes that all the time. If, if you don't want to be relevant, if you don't want that pressure, if you don't like having those high expectations, this probably isn't the place for you. You've been AD for nine years, but you've been in the athletic department for a lot longer. What's how long's your tenure? So Boy, far? it's uh, it's it's fifteen years now. Believe it or not, I never thought I'd be here for fifteen years. To be candid, I thought I'd come here for three or four and get some great experience and have to pack up my family and move on to somewhere else to get the athletic, an athletic director job. But man, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm very fortunate. That's what a lot of us thought, but my parole officer wouldn't let me leave. <laughs> so, so I'm still here. What's the high point of those 15 years? What's the high point And what's, what's a low point for you during that, that period of time, you know, looking back? Well, I certainly think uh, this past year has been a, a real low point for a, you, you have to look at student athletes and tell them they're not competing. Uh, let's, I know that they're, they're college students. They come here to get an education. They came to Montana because Montana is a great place and it's got a great education, but, but they came to play football and soccer and softball. That's important to them. And looking at them and telling them, we don't know what we're going to do. We're going to take this as it is. I will never forget pulling out of Boise last year. And literally, our men's team is getting ready for their quarterfinal matchup with Idaho State. And you're thinking, I think they can win this tournament and get the NCAA. And you look at them and say, hey, this is done. Like, we're done. Mm-hmm. And and that was that was a really, really difficult time. Um, high points for me are always um, – I, I try genuinely to not get too high with the highs and too low with the lows because you end up – you kind of have such this rip of emotions, but I can't deny that those, those big wins, um, you know, that, that, that last second touchdown against North Dakota state was really special. Yes. That, uh, those, uh, those two, those, the, the year we had the, the men's and women's basketball tournament here and both our men and women won and went to the NCAA tournament. That's a big thing watching, um, our student athletes succeed. Certainly big wins over our rival, Montana State, are always a lot of fun. But I, I really have tried not to get too high with the highs and too low with the lows because it, it gets a little too emotional and then you end up making decisions that can be bad on both ends. <laughs> but watching student athletes succeed is the absolute, and I, and I mean this genuinely, when you watch a student athlete come here, wherever they've come from, and they're 17, 18, 19 years old. They, they kind of think they know everything. They've got their whole life planned out. And then to watch them struggle and face adversity and succeed and fail and then work through on the backside as a totally different person, it's, it's a really gratifying thing. You mentioned the Montana-Montana State game and the interstate rivalry. It's one of the 
premier rivalries in the country. And the feelings are genuine. This is not just superficial. When I ran the Montana World Trade Center, I had companies in Bozeman that wouldn't work with me because I was based in Missoula. Yeah. And that's how deep it runs in this state. Yeah. How do you get along with the AD at Montana State? And, you know, how do, how do we feel about that competition? Oh, it's, it's, it's heated. The competition is very heated. I, I mean, there's not one thing that we do we don't want to beat each other at. There's no doubt about that. But Leon Costello genuinely is, uh, a re- I consider him a, a really good friend. Uh, and a good um, colleague, we we will collaborate on a lot more than people will realize. I mean, mm-hmm. we were we were we were lockstep in the football decision. There are things that will happen um, within our conference that impact both of us so much different than the rest of our uh, our conference members. Whether it comes to TV or it comes to revenue distribution and all those type of things, where we're lockstep a lot more than people would think. But it's it's a rivalry, so you, you you play things close. You don't want to tip your hand too much on too many things, but we're really we're really swimming up the same stream. Um, but I'll tell you what: whether it's uh, tennis or football, it doesn't matter. When that Grizz Cat uh, happens, it's let's go, let's go. The, the the competition, the competitive side of me is is pretty robust. Let's just put it that way, <laughs> and, and I'm sure Leon's is too. Absolutely. Let's take a quick break and we'll come right back with our guest, Director of Athletics, Kent Haslam. Back after this. Does your business need a... We're back with the final segment with Kent Haslam. Kent, getting to the point where you're actually playing in spring ball, tell us the, the effort to actually get everything coordinated, both with the university, but also with your staff. Yeah, this has been a big, big strain on our staff. Uh, we talked about this right at the open. Uh, Arnie, you t- touched on it. We're playing sports that we're normally not playing right now. We're normally not getting ready for a football game and you throw in those. Now we won't have 25,000 people out there. So that makes it a little bit easier. We're not going to be tailgating. We're not going to be doing all those kind of things, but you still have to do the same level of prep to get that game ready. And, um, and, and then you throw in all the testing requirements, the COVID testing. So it's, it's been a, it's been a real strain on our staff and I can feel that. I can sense that there's been a lot of anxiety among the staff. What's our future hold? They're not, they, they understand how valuable football is. We can play it in the fall. They can count how much we generate off of that too. So it's, it's been a strain, um, on the staff, but they're ready and willing. We get in this business. Uh, not to sit on Zoom meetings. We get in this business because we love watching student athletes compete and we love watching them succeed. And there's enough pressure in this business. And typically the relief point is, is competition and success and, and, and seeing that happen. We haven't had that pressure release point now for, for, uh, for a long, long time. So just getting back to doing those things is what we, is really exciting. I predict we'll have one of the biggest TV audiences we've ever had watching the, the first, these two games. I, I agree with you. And, um, we've had great partnership with our, uh, Missoula City County Health. They've, they've been great. They're, they're learning through all this as well. Right. You know, we've, we've had plenty of, of, uh, of, of bumps along the road, but, uh, and I know everyone's a little bit got a little COVID fatigue, but they've been great as we've planned this thing. Um, uh, our, our ticket sales have been pretty good. We've only got about 5,000 that we're selling, but I think, 
I, I agree with you, Arnie. I, I'd love, I, I wish there was a real good measurement because I think a lot of people are saying, I can't wait to watch Grizz football and we put it on TV. I, I, we probably shouldn't have put it on TV so we, we'd sell just a lot more tickets, but I don't think I'd have survived that decision. You could have put it on pay for view. You would have made the budget for the year. <laughs> yeah. And I pro- probably could have done that too, but I don't know if I'd have survived that one either. I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount the radio audience either, guys. No, Correct. that's true. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and, and, uh, you know, we have a great radio team, but I, I agree with you there too, Scott. I don't ever want to discount that side because that's such a key part of connecting to so many places in our state. That's and, right. Um, sure. We'll have, we'll have great. I know we will. We will have a lot of people that will be listening and watching this game. Yeah, we're excited. Thank you. We appreciate your time, by the way. We, I know you're so busy right now. So we're, you're glad, we're glad you gave us a, a half hour, 45 minutes of your time. Absolutely. It's always fun. It's a pleasure. And go Grizz. Go Grizz. Fight on. Let's go. Go Grizz. All right. We'll see you later. Arnie, I'll see you next week. Take care, Scott. See you next week. Thank you for listening to What Do You Know? I can't wait for the next show, Scott. I'm excited too, Arnie. If you'd like to suggest a guest, send me an email at scottrichman at townsquaremedia.com. We'll see you next week. And thanks for listening to News Talk KGVO. prescription.